Welcome to Not Your Mother's Menopause, Making Hormones Make Sense, with Dr. Fiona Lovely. Dr. Lovely is an expert on health, treating women and their families from around the world. Her specialities include endocrinology, functional neurology, and functional medicine. Please visit us at drlovely.com. And now, here's the doctor. Good day, glorious wild women. This is Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is Not Your Mother's Menopause, Making Hormones Make Sense podcast. Welcome. I've just finished a series of uh, casts on the topics of uh, prescription medication, uh, the most commonly prescribed medication for women in perimenopause, something that uh, we like to call the, the, the menopausal cocktail. And I've had some really interesting feedback on that series, and the most recent one that I finished uh, was about sleep and sleep medications. And... It seems like there are a whole lot of women that are struggling with this particular issue, and it's certainly something that comes up often in perimenopause. So I thought I'd take some time today and do a wee podcast on some ideas around uh, what you can do to get a better night's sleep, and this is by no means a comprehensive list. It's just a few suggestions. Uh, Quite often, it's not so much about can we add something to sleep better, but it's things you have to take away. Uh, So sleep is a really interesting uh, (laughs) um, badge of honor, if you will. I certainly recall much of my life sleep uh, the culture around sleep was that you, the less you get, the more productive you can be and the more amazing a person you can be. And that some people used lack of sleep or their ability to survive on, you know, three or four hours a night uh, as some sort of badge of honor. And interestingly enough, some of these same folks now are showing up with some pretty major health issues. So sleep is not something that you can just kind of decide to do without or uh, do less of. Um, From a brain health point of view, and of course the brain controls everything, so we're always going to have to go back and look at the brain and see what it's doing in regards to whatever it is you're experiencing. But in regards to sleep and overall health, when you sleep, your brain sends in the cleanup crew. It sends up, it sends in the uh, mechanisms of the body that tidy up the cellular debris uh, physically and chemically from the day before. The also the other thing that happens is that if you're in the process of learning and um, perhaps having a new experience. The night that when you go to sleep, your brain consolidates those memories into storage. It consolidates those new ideas into storage as well. And, you know, in that process, it also tidies up um, the bits of mental clutter that have accumulated throughout the day. Uh, I'm no longer a Windows user, but when I was, it was somewhat like the process of defragmenting your hard drive 
It would take a really, really long time, and it was kind of a pain in the butt, but it was something that we were supposed to do for regular maintenance. You can think about sleep the same way in regards to your brain health. You have to defrag the drive. It means that we need to have eight hours of sleep a night. For some people, it's more. For elderly, for the elderly as well as teenagers, sleep, they actually need more sleep in order to do more of those cellular cleanups and do more of those uh, memory storage and learning new things uh, storage. And I, I think that's, uh, that's important information to people to know. It's, it's not about, uh, um, I don't know, making it less important. I don't think you really can do that. You spend a third of your life asleep. So we might as well uh, make it a quality experience. So I'm just going to share a couple of things here that um, are common sleep saboteurs, if you will, things that you may be able to apply right away to help get you a deeper quality of sleep. So first thing, easy enough, is light. So if the bedroom that you're sleeping in has a light source that's on throughout the night, that can disrupt your sleep, even if you're not consciously becoming awake. The, the worst problem here is the blue light that everyone's talking about. Of course, that comes from your TV, comes from your electronic uh, devices, your iPhone, your tablet, all right? Now, uh, I know certainly Apple's getting a lot smarter about this, and you can change the tone of the color on your phone, on your tablet. In fact, you can set it to do it automatically. Um, there's also uh, programs or apps that will do that for you, I, I presume, if you're um, an Android user. And the idea is you want it to be a warm light, like on the, the red end of the scale rather than the blue end of the scale. And you also want it to be fairly dim. So don't have that brightness turned way up. That's really tough on the brain. Uh, but also your when that's happening, your uh, pineal gland in your brain, which is the, the gland that um, registers uh, sleep coming or um, uh, darkness approaching, and therefore it releases the melatonin that signals you to sleep. So super important, turn off the TV, turn off the tablet, turn off the phone, not just right before you go to sleep, but if you're having trouble sleeping, you should sort of plan to have all of those devices off an hour before your head hits the pillow. Next thing, of course, is noise, and the noise does come from those devices as well as the television, but if you keep the window open, maybe the neighbor's dog is barking, or the birds are chirping, or um, you're hearing road noise from uh, a nearby highway, all of those things can interrupt your sleep, even if, again, you're not aware that you're actually coming conscious uh, throughout the night, they can interrupt you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the other place that comes from, of course, is if you don't have the alarms turned off on your phone, all those beeps and chirps and all of that business coming from your phone, even though you don't think it's interrupting you in the night. It actually is. So just uh, set your phone to go on nighttime and no sounds. Um, in fact, even better if you power those right off. So one of the other things that can interrupt our sleep, of course, is going to bed emotional or excessive worry. Okay, so in regards to going to bed emotional, 
you know, for me, I've over the years just sort of made myself a little cocoon around the time that I go to bed. I'm very particular about uh, what I'm reading or watching or what I'm exposed to in that time before bed. It's not really the time I'm going to have a business phone call. It's not really the time I'm going to, let's say, read the news feed that may be particularly violent or sad. Uh, it's really just about making sure that the last thoughts in my head when I fall asleep are good ones because you will ruminate on those things overnight. So you might as well make it good stuff. If you're a worrier, notepad on the nightstand. We've talked about this before. Write down what it is that you're worrying about and potentially some action steps that you can take the next day. And then just say, you know, it's, it's, it's out of my mind and I'm going to carry on. Also, don't uh, don't engage in uh, late food activities, okay? So that's one of those things that can really change the quality of our sleep. Certainly coffee, tea, and caffeine will, because they're stimulants, and they're also diuretics, so not only will you, will you be um, wanting to be active, but also you're going to need to pee. And alcohol does cause that as well. Actually, alcohol is a brain suppressor. So when you drink, it shuts all a lot of those thoughts off, which certainly is why people have troubles getting into addiction with alcohol, because if you can't cope with your reality, it's one way that you can. Um, and I'm sure most of us have uh, participated in that behavior from time to time. Uh, regardless, when the suppression... Uh, uh, brain suppression wears off usually about four hours later all of a sudden your brain lights up and you can wake up and uh, so having that glass of wine before bed or you know having a cocktail before dinner can really make a difference in terms of whether or not you wake up in the middle of the night and camp it get back to sleep so be careful mindful of your caffeine be mindful of your alcohol also be mindful of the time that you eat your final meal Eat early enough that your body can do most of its digestion before the food passes along to your small intestine. That will avoid uh, the heartburn or acid reflux that a lot of folks have. Um, so, And also what you're eating before you go to bed. So if you're having foods that are spicy or acidic that normally bother you, and then you might add some alcohol on top of that, well, of course you're going to be awake and uh, miserable with acid reflux in the night. So... Uh, just kind of be mindful there about when it is that you're actually having your final meal. If bedtime is 10, eat at 6. Seems like a good plan. Okay, so let's talk about the hormones of perimenopause. So the hormones of perimenopause can absolutely cause you to have troubles with quality of sleep. So one of two things happens. Either you can't fall asleep or you fall asleep easily, but you wake in the night and not necessarily can you get back to sleep. Um, the... They're both really connected to adrenal fatigue. Um, of course, you can also have hot flashes and night sweats, which wake you in the night. Um, those are more related to brain health, thyroid, and what the female hormones are doing, the uh, estrogen and progesterone. But to talk about adrenal fatigue for a minute. So what happens is when your adrenal glands are not working as well as they could, they spike the cortisol, and the cortisol is the stress hormone. And what will happen is if you're having, let me let me take a step back and say one more thing to you. 
Adrenal fatigue includes potentially issues with blood sugar. Okay, it's not just the pancreas that's in charge of blood sugar. The adrenal glands are very much too. And and the reason why is because they're meant to release fuel if you need it uh, in order to survive if you're in a a stressful or traumatic or violent situation. So uh, what happens is when you are in a, a blood sugar slump, your brain will spike cortisol, the stress hormone, and you'll wake up. And you may not even realize that you're hungry when you wake up. What's happened is it's been so many hours of fasting that your brain says, hey, I need some fuel there. Wake up. And that's what happens. So one of the things that you can do for that, if blood sugar and adrenal fatigue are an issue for you, and remember this is not necessarily just people who are diabetic. Um, I see a lot of women that have blood sugar issues and rarely is it associated with diabetes. It can get there, but, um, long before that. So that's why you have to eat smaller, more frequent meals and you have to make sure you have enough protein every day and you have to make sure you have enough fiber vegetables and fruits that help that sugar sort of slow burn throughout the day. Anyways, what you want to do is just before you go to bed, have an all-protein snack, okay? Obviously, you're not going to have something that could potentially cause you heartburn. You're going to have something like a piece of meat left over from dinner that doesn't have any carby sauce or marinade on it, just just a, a, a bit of chicken or beef or whatever you had for dinner. You can do a scrambled egg with some coconut oil. Uh, you can do... Um, or cheese really, as long as it's full fat cheese and you don't have a dairy allergy. Uh, You just can't have anything carby. So if you were to do a smoothie, you could do that, but you can only have the protein powder. You can't have the fruit, that kind of thing. Because when you have that sugar, then it doesn't really give you the balance that you need throughout the night. So something easily you can do uh, to help with adrenal fatigue. Anyways, hopefully these things have been helpful for you. I can see that uh, uh, my brief podcast has been just too newsworthy, newsy uh, to uh, be a short one today, but that's good. It's good information here, so I'm hoping that um, what I've shared with you is really going to be able to help you. Uh, As always, I'm grateful you're here listening to me. Thank you. This is a podcast for you, so let me know what you want me to talk about. Please leave a message on our Facebook page, Not Your Mother's Menopause, Making Hormones Make Sense podcast page on Facebook. Uh, you can also find out more about me and the podcast on my website, which is drlovely.expert. Until next time, thank you. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.